hold on to that. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Hope you managed to grab a drink. It was with the kids went out, got settled. Grab hold of your Bible because we're going to be needing that in just a moment. Okay, before we get into what we're going to do today, I need to test you. A little bit of fun to get us started. I read this um, this week. It said, the amount of adverts we see, think about advertising, kind of television, magazines, internet. Apparently, back in the 1970s, we'd see about under 500 adverts in a day. It has risen recently to well over 3,000 adverts we're bombarded with each and every day um, to try to sell us something, tell us about something, convince us to do something. And most of the time we don't even notice it's happening. But I bet if I tested you, you're probably pretty good on them. So what we got this morning is a test. Maybe you talk to the person next to you. If you haven't met them, say hi. You can work with a partner. I'm going to put something up on the board behind, and based on what you see, you need to tell me the kind of what they're advertising, what the company is, or the the thing behind it. All right, it should make sense once you see it. What's going to be really scary is how good you are at it. Put the first one up, please. Simples. Tell your partner what's what's that one? What's that advertising? CompareTheMarket.com. Even if you got the meerkats, you're almost there, aren't you? Like it's those little funny things. What's the next one? Carlsberg Lager. That's been around for so long. Okay, what's the next one? I won't try saying it. I don't think I can say it right. But for those one, that's Audi cars. Vorsprung Technik. What about that one? I don't need that one. The best a man can get, Gillette. Okay, keep going. So you are slow on that one. Is it the most popular drink on planet Earth? The real thing, Coca-Cola. Okay. <laughs> that was all the ladies went, oh. The blokes are going, I don't know that one. What's that one? What's that? I don't know that one. Because you're worth it, L'Oreal, L'Oreal Paris, or whatever it is. Next one. Oh, if I stump you, what's in your wallet? It's not American Express. <laughs> Capital One. Capital One, which leads me into our new sermon series, which we're starting today, What's in Your Wallet? Hopefully you got that. We put the, the word out. Now... Let me explain what this is about. I felt God speak to me about this months and months ago, and I've kind of been sitting on it, thinking about it. We'd started the book of Hebrews. We preached through the entire book of Hebrews. If you missed that, you can catch that up on our website. And I felt, as we said, I felt God start pushing me on this whole idea of what's in your wallet. And the issue of money and possessions and finances is huge in our culture. It is huge. And the, the really scary thing is you wouldn't know it because it's the air we breathe. Unless you really step back and look. It's just who we are. It's just how we, we are wired up, how we've been trained 
by this Western culture we live in, this small bubble compared to planet Earth, that this whole thing about money and finances and possessions is kind of just what we're about. It's kind of what the world rolls around that we, that we live in. Um, and here's some stats just to hopefully underline that. Christmas spending last year, 2016, I did, I, I did some looking around and I found out that was, what was spent in that Christmas period in the UK totaled about 77 billion. Yeah, exactly. Freak me, freaked me out when I saw it. It's like, what? They added up all of it that was spent on that time of year. The advertising budget for the UK is 20 billion a year that's spent on advertising in the United Kingdom. Think about all the ads and the paper and the television. The internet ones. Have you had the creepy internet ones that now chase you around? That you're looking at something over here, you go on this site over here and over there, and suddenly the ads follow you. You're like, where did that come from? But they, they know you. There are, they, they can track you. The ads follow you. Personal debt in the UK, not UK debt, personal debt in the UK is 1.5 trillion. I don't even know what a trillion is. I know it's bigger than a billion, but I don't really know what a billion is, but that's bigger than a million. So we're going up, big numbers. The unsecured personal debt, so this excludes things like mortgages for people in the UK, is £13,000 per person owed. And if you notice, it's so easy nowadays to spend money. Have you done the contactless stuff? Oh, that's freaky. You don't even have to take your card out of your wallet. You just stick it on the, the, the machine, and you've suddenly spent money. I just, the first time I did that, I just kept looking sideways at the lady behind the counter thinking, what has just happened? You've just taken money from me, and I didn't do anything. Kind of, soon I wouldn't even have to take out my wallet. It would just zap it, and it would be like they'll take their money on it. And we live in a culture, a world of great wealth and great choice and we often don't think about this when we think of the rich people we think of the billionaires people who own football clubs or even footballers but even there's probably pales into when we people who own them these tycoons who, who run things and make millions off the internet or oil or whatever it is but the reality is we're all extremely rich I went on a website globalrichlist.net which was um, compiled from this data of income around the world and if you are an average, U if you earn the average UK income, which I found out is around £26,000 a year, average for the UK, you're in the top 1% of earners on planet Earth. Top 1%. 26 grand a year. Top 1%. Even if you're on minimum wage in this country, which I worked out is about £13,000 a year, if you were earn minimum wage, you're still in the top 6% of the world. How many people in the world? What, five, six billion? You're in that top percent. It is, the pursuit of stuff is our way of life in the West. The pursuit of more, the pursuit of the better house, the better car, the better clothes, the better technology, whatever's coming out next, the better stuff, the next holiday, whatever it is. That is kind of what we're about in this part of the world. That's what it is. We, are, we live in the land of plenty. We are bombarded with choice. My house, where I happen to live, I live within about two or three hundred yards from three large supermarkets. Two of them are the kind of the more budget end, they give you limited choice, but one of them is like a mega market and the choice there is staggering for something as mundane as, you know, butter or even things like milk. You go to the milk aisle, 
is 25 yards long. So all I want is milk. And there's all this choice we have. We are just overwhelmed for it. And this for us is normal. We don't blink. We just think, yeah, and we're expecting the choice. So we want the choice. And even our culture, so much is given to us. Think about the National Health Service. We have so much there that's just provided. You go, I see, a, I see a highly trained individual who's trained for years, decades of experience. I just phone up, I get to see them. I have their devoted time for you know, 10 minutes, tell them my ailments. Got a throat, they look in my throat, throat infection. They scribble something, something illegible on a piece of paper. There you go, I've got drugs, which I don't know how much they cost, and it will just cure my disease in a few days. I'm up and right as rain. And it costs me the price of a prescription, which isn't much in this day um, and age. When we had kids, one of the most shocking things, when you have children, your life, lots of things are shocking. One of the most shocking things when I have children is the government gave me money. Literally, they just started giving me money for having kids. I thought, this is good. So we had another one. And so and they gave, <laughs> that's not the reason, that's a, that's a joke. Everyone's like, I'm a bit concerned now. And they gave us more. I thought, this is good. It was less, though. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't doubled. It was a bit of anyway. And they're still giving it just for having kids. I'm thinking, wow, where in the world does this happen? That you have, they just give you money. It's incredible. But this is what we're like. And I read this. This was sobering. Reading around this subject, I read a writer, Christian writer, said he felt that this whole area of possessions and money and comfort and choice and, and all that, the greatest single threat to Christianity in the West is this, that we are comfortable and we spend our time and our energy pursuing stuff and earning money and getting more and getting more and doing the next thing. So what we're going to look at for the next five weeks, we'll have a break when Donald comes, but we'll have, it's five weeks, we're going to look at some things Jesus said about this topic. We've got five parts. We're going to do loving today and then we've got serving, seeking, stewardship and giving and we're going to look at those and try and balance our perspective. Because in one sense, our culture is not going to change. We're in it. We live it. God has called us here. He's chosen us for the foundation. Well, this is where we are. This is our mission field. This is what we're to be a part of. But we need to make sure our perspective in it is a biblical-based one. And we are not being overwhelmed by a culture that says live this way. But we're underpinned by biblical values in that culture. So I'm going to do. So in that, just as part of this thinking and reasoning and praying, I'd love you all to kind of be on the front foot of this. I also want to recommend a book to you that you can read. It's a short book. Look at that. Short book. So that's always encouraging. When anyone recommends a book that's short. This is called The Treasure Principle by an American author named Randy Alcorn. His, um, his testimony to do with this is quite staggering, which he writes in here. But I want to recommend you get this. You can get this on Amazon or other places. Really good one. I'm also going to give away a copy. You don't recommend it without giving one away. So can you all check under your seats and if you find a, uh, a bag of chocolate coins. If you've got that, can you stand up? Sam, this book is for you. Can we give this Sam? Give Sam a clap, please. And you get to keep the chocolate coins. You might want to share those with your wife and children. Just saying, read the book, enjoy it, pass it on to someone else, it won't take you long. Okay, because we're talking about this area, there's a couple of caveats. I'm not about to take up an offering, just saying. That's done, not going to happen, we're talking about money, all right. I'm not looking for a raise, just saying. That's not what's going to happen. However, I hope this makes you uncomfortable. Partly because most of you are English, talking about money is uncomfortable but mostly because we are poking the idol of our age. 
And when you poke the idol of our age, whether we like it or not, and we live in this culture, it makes us uncomfortable because whether we like it or not, we are influenced by it. We hope that we've kind of got a handle of we're not like that, we're not of this world, we've been saved out of the world, etc. We've been born again. All these things are true, but actually when you live in a culture, it's so hard not to pick up its practice and its thoughts and its kind of mindset. All right, got a Bible? So part one, what's in your wallet? Loving. You got a Bible? Turn to Matthew chapter 19. Verse 16, we will start at. It should appear on the screen behind me if you haven't got your Bible. If you don't have a Bible here and you would like one, come and talk to me at the end. We will get you one. We will sort it out. All right, this is what it says. And behold, a man came up to him, that's Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life and Jesus and he said to him why do you ask me about what is good there's only one who is good if you would enter eternal life keep the commandments he said to him which ones and Jesus said you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not bear false witness honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself the young man said to him all these I have kept what do I still lack Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Big idea of this morning, loving money leads to disaster. Loving money leads to disaster. Let's look at this passage, four things. First one, the question. This guy, we know if you read Mark's Gospel, you read Luke's Gospel, the story is repeated. It's often referred to as the rich young ruler. We get the information by reading all three of them. This man is young, so he's somewhere between age uh, 20 to 40, the, um, the, 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 the Bible commentators tell us. So he's in that kind of age. He was rich, so he had a lot of money. He also described him as a ruler, which is most likely he was senior in the synagogue, which probably puts him at the slightly end or, uh, older age of that spectrum. So he was well off. Um, he had a position of authority and power in the kind of the synagogue, in the religious life of the Jews at the time. Uh, so he was quite senior, quite well thought of, would have been known in the community. And he comes up to Jesus and he asks him a question. And he says, What must I do to have eternal life? So he's looking for something beyond this life and eternal, but also a quality of life in it. Because when the Jews talked about eternal life, it wasn't just living kind of forever it was a quality of life in the now Jesus said I've come that you may have life in the full in abundance so there's a, there's a dynamic of it now as well as in the future and he comes to him but he's asking to him what's he saying he's saying what good deed must I do effectively how do I earn it how do I get it what must I do what's the activity I must be about to receive this Jesus is referred to as teacher when he comes up Rabbi, teacher, this probably means he doesn't quite get who Jesus is. Matthew's Gospel, you're in chapter 19 now. Quite a lot has happened in the life of Jesus. He's done a lot. So actually, he's, he's explained who he is. He's taught, he's healed, he's performed miracles. This guy hasn't quite grasped who he is, which is not normal, not, un, sorry, not uncommon for the people around. So he just refers to him and he's based saying as a teacher. Well, elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel, where it talks about teacher, the people 
are not accepting Jesus as who he said he was, the Messiah, God the Son, etc. But there's no indication he's trying to trap him. He just comes to the rabbi and said, right, tell me what good deed must I do to um, inherit eternal life? And his question shows that there's obviously something in his life that's lacking. He knows there's something missing, but he's saying, basically, how do I earn more spiritual brownie points? That's what I'm after. I want to earn more just to make sure I tip myself over the edge so I definitely got this eternal life. How do I do it? What's the good deeds I must be about? And he's, you know, we know he's followed the law because we read the rest of it. But he recognizes there's something missing. Jesus' reply, his initial reply to him is basically, actually, there's only one good thing, that's God. You're talking about doing good deeds. Actually, the one good person you should be looking at is God. He's the one that's actually going to reveal how you inherit eternal life. We move on. So he responds to this kind of, okay, he's saying, Jesus says, okay, you've got to keep the commandments, God's commandments. And he says, well, which ones? Now, for a good Jew, when you talk about the commands, what would your mind go to? It'd be the ten commandments. Well, they're the, the Decalogue given to uh, Moses by God, Exodus 20, and then later in Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy 6. They're repeated, so you've got the Ten Commandments. So they'd have all known them. And he says, well, you've kept the commands. you kept the commandments. And he starts to reel them off. Yes, of course I have. What have I done? I sh- you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shan't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, Jesus says. And so those are the commands. If you add them, go down the Ten Commandments. That's numbers six, seven, eight, and 9 are the first ones mentioned there. Murder, adultery, theft, false witness. Jesus stops before he mentions number 10. Do you know what number 10 is? Thou shalt not covet. Read the rest of the story. Jesus didn't say that one. That's interesting. He mentioned 6, 7, 8, and 9. He then jumps back to 5, which is honoring father and mother. And then he adds on the end a bit from Leviticus about loving your neighbor as yourself. What do they all have in common? They are all have external... Um, uh, outworkings that you can see. If you've murdered somebody, you've gone out and done it. You've stolen someone, you've done it. Lied, it's words that actually come out of your mouth. Even honoring your parents, again, it's an external thing. It's all observable and measurable. And even loving your neighbor as yourself, again, there's that, it has actions behind it. So Jesus pulls out all these things that have actions and have observer. And what does the man say? Rather, maybe the, the element of youth there, rather naively, what does he say? Yes, of course, I've kept all of them. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't nicked anything. I haven't lied. I obviously love mum and dad. I'm honoring them. Whatever the other one was, yeah, lying, you know, loving my neighbors. He's, he claims that he's kept all of them. We know, because we've read Matthew, you go back to the beginning, what happens at the, um, it, what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? You've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, what? Even if you're angry, even if you're angry at your brother, you've murdered him in your heart. Jesus exceeded it. And so he's going, he's just pointing to the external. The guy's saying, yes, I've done it. We know there's actually way more behind that in Jesus' teaching. He hasn't actually brought that out. But actually, that's in the beginning of Matthew's gospel that we're going through here. And actually, it's like, there's all this. But the man's saying, yes, I've done it. All these I've kept. But he still thinks there's something lacking. What? There's something missing in life. What is it? What do I lack? Jesus then lands the challenge on him. 
He said, if you would be perfect, what he means by that is mature or complete. That's the, uh, the essence of the word. If you'd be mature, because he was young, if you'd be complete in your faith, in your following of God, he says, go, sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. The man, he was given the insight by Christ, go back to the commands, look at the commands. He should have tripped him off that he didn't think about the other commands that Jesus mentioned. There were ten. Jesus mentioned five, and then he added the one in from Leviticus. There's still five more in the list. And Jesus said, if you want that, you want to be complete, if you want to be concerned, he says, go, sell everything you've got, and follow me. What's Jesus doing there? He's poking the problem. And the problem is the first commandment. What was the first commandment in the list, in the Decalogue? God says, I'm the Lord you God, who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. That's how the ten begin. And the reality is, I read a commentator who said, Martin Luther, he said, you break the first, you break the others. All the breaking of the other commandments is basically breaking the first commandment. The ones about making a graven image, taking the Lord's name in vain, not honoring the Sabbath, coveting. All of them and all those ones we've seen, they're all breaking the first commandment, having no other God but him. Because if he's your only God, you won't be killing people, you won't be stealing, you won't be lying, you would be honoring your parents because that's what it is. You won't make any other images. And this man who claimed a, a level of righteousness, had a position of authority, he said actually he's failed the first commandment. He had another God and what was his God his money and his possessions his stuff that was his God that's what was number one in his life that's what he loved that's what he put position above everything else so when Jesus knew that and he pokes it and he makes this picture he says well actually you've got treasures on earth this stuff that you've got that you love he said actually if you want treasures in heaven which we'll look at particularly next week, what that's about. If you want that eternal reward, something beyond this life, something that won't wear out, fall apart, actually if you want that, you need to change what's number one. And the way you need to change what's number one is by getting rid of your possessions. He called him to wholehearted devotion to God, to follow Jesus with his whole heart. And you might read that and think, well, that's just a bit harsh on this guy, but actually it's no different to what he called others to. It's no different to the call he made on our life. What did he say to the fishermen when he met them on the beach? There was Simon and Andrew and James and John, and they were working at their boats at their nets. What did he say? He said, leave them, come follow me. What did he say to Levi, Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, who was working at his tax collecting booth, at his job? He said, just leave that, come follow me. If you're going to follow me, you need to be wholehearted, devoted to me. Now, we know from the stories, like the disciples, they actually went back to their fishing. It's not like they got rid of it all. They, they put Jesus number one in their life. He was calling wholehearted devotion. And what was the decision the young man made? When we just think about it, it says, verse 22, he said, He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He couldn't obey Jesus because he loved his stuff more. That's as stark as it gets. He had, we don't actually know what it was. We can imagine. 
the house and the possessions and the stuff on it. He had the nice, he had the fast donkey with the stripes on the side, or whatever it was, and all the equivalent stuff. He had it, whatever it was, and the income and the status that went with him, and the privilege and the comfort and all those things. And he valued them more than eternal life. That is frightening when you think about it. You can have all this stuff or you can have eternal life. Bear in mind that's life beyond this life but also a quality of life now that is beyond what you're experiencing. And he said, I'll take the stuff. And if you've got your Bible open, just flick back a couple of verses before where we started and what do you have? You have this really little story that I think is actually, it's definitely in three of the Gospels, it might be in four of them. But it's a funny story that we kind of know about, but it's where the little children come to Jesus. And the disciples shoo them away, don't they? Did you notice earlier? bit noisy <laughs> when the little ones are in. That's, that's normal. They come, and they, they, they come to Jesus. They would have come with noise and energy. And what did the disciples do? Just, just don't bother him. Jesus, he's the teacher. He's the one. He's high above this. You know, he's got important things to do. And what did Jesus do? He says he rebuked. He told them off. Instead of telling off the kids for being noisy and energetic, he told off his disciples. And he says, let the, kingdom, let the kids come because there is the kingdom of heaven. And then immediately Matthew puts in his gospel a story about a rich young ruler. This was a synagogue official, high up in society, high up in the religious structure. If you put it down, who's nearer to God's kingdom? The kids with the snot down the nose and running everywhere and dirty, you know, or the man who would have known his Old Testament, he'd have gone to um, the synagogue kind of every week, kept his Sabbath, kept these outward commandments. Who's nearer to God's kingdom? Well, the answer's obvious. It's the man. He knows stuff, he's in it, but actually the story bears out, he's actually further away than children. The kids are closer. He is miles away from God's kingdom and he has completely missed it. Completely missed it because he loved his money more than he loved God. And he tried to, he tried to um, order his life around the law and he tried to follow some of the law, but actually it failed him. And the law actually is designed to do that. I was in Tuesday, I was down at Bedford. Um, once I, got, I asked to go and teach some of the students who are taking a year out. It's part of our movement churches, and I do a day on salvation, law, and grace. And we look at the law, among other things. And actually, one of the things about the law is it's not designed to save you. The law can't save you. We saw that when we looked through Hebrews. The law is powerless to do that. It didn't work. It didn't deal with the problem. But what's the law designed to do? It's designed to drive you to a saviour. It's actually designed to push you. You need someone to get you out of the mess that you're in. And this guy was standing in front of the saviour, recognising his need. What do I lack? What do I need to be saved? Jesus puts his finger on it and he walks away. He walks away because he loved his stuff more than he loved God. Terrifying when you dwell on it. Okay, three things I want us to take away from this. Three things. The first one, the external can hide the attitudes of our heart. The external, the outside, can hide what's going on internally. This man in the story, this rich young ruler, looked the part on the surface. He went to church, 
read his Bible. He was kind and, you know, he was kind of outwardly happy. He, wouldn't, he wasn't miserable or anything like that. He didn't lie. He was well thought of in society. He had a good job, whatever that is. He honored his parents. We don't know if he's married or anything, but he had on from his family life what he had connected. He said, yeah, I do honor my parents. So there was a good kind of family life around him as well. No obvious things that you could point to externally that we might think, if, you know, if you watch a soap opera, none of that stuff going on in his life. His kind of life was well-ordered and was all together. He looked the part, he had it all. But actually inside, it was empty and rotten. A chocolate-colored turd. Looked nice on the outside. You bite inside, nah. And as a result, he missed God's kingdom. And the challenge for us is that are we just, are we, what are we putting our focus on? What are we making most of our time to get right? The external or the internal? Because you can come to church and you can sit here and you can look the part and you can raise the right, your hands at the right time. It's got to be the right time as the music picks up. You know, we can do that. We learn the songs. We know the Christian platitudes. We can do the stuff. We can serve at things. We can, you know, be around. Christians, we're nice. You know what I mean? We're a nicer church. We're friendly. It's nice to be a part of us, to come along here and just join us. People say, hi, and how are you doing? And all that kind of thing. We serve fairly good tea and coffee um, and food. You know, why wouldn't you want to be part of that? But actually, it's not about that. It's actually about what is God doing in your heart? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know him personally? We believe real life is about having a relationship with Jesus. That's number one. Do you know him? Are you taking time to cultivate that? Or is your energy being made on the outside to make sure I'm doing what I should be doing, looking the part, so I'm accepted, so people won't you know, think bad of me? Or are you actually putting it inside? What are you loving? What are you giving your time to and your energy to? We bang on about this so much about are you reading your Bible, are you praying, are you connecting with Jesus, being filled with the Spirit, those kind of things. Are you being honest and open about who you are, where you are. If you know that there's a deficiency in you, it will find you out. And I hope it's not on the last day. I hope it's before then. So if that is you, you need to talk to someone. We'd love to talk with you in the end, pray with you, talk to someone who brought you with you, talk to your spouse if you're married, they're here. Just don't spend all your time on the external while neglecting the internal. Now, obviously, the external is important. We've been called by God, it says, to, we've been created to do good works. Yes, we should do all these things, but it should be driven by an internal relationship with God, a passion for Him, a love for Him, a love for His kingdom. We've been born again, filled with the Spirit, and actually, we're not driven by this outside thing. Second thing, money, if not handled well, can be disastrous. There was a simple choice this guy had. Eternal life, God's kingdom. If you read the passage on when the disciples start talking about it, they use the phrase saved. They've got this, this, is, this thing with God or just stuff. And he chose the stuff. He gave up quality of life in Christ, life to the full, life in the new kingdom, so we could have some stuff. And money and possessions and stuff are like, um, like fire, I guess, would be a good illustration, a good image. Who likes fire? Love fire. Not a pyromaniac, just like fire. 
open fires, bonfires, cooking marshmallows over fires, all those things. We went camping last summer with the kids and we bought this little kind of fold-up fire pit thing. We cooked some food on some sausages and did some marshmallows. It was fantastic. We love it. I love bonfire. We did the event last year, Man vs. Fire. We had the bonfire and cooked food. It's brilliant. I love fire. It was great. When we were... Um, before we had the kids and we'd go away uh, for a week and have our little holiday, man and I, one of the things we always say when we booked a cottage, we wanted a cottage somewhere nice, one of the things we looked for was, do they have an open fire? Do they have, because we like to make a fire in the evening, it's just, it's just nice, relaxing, we'd sit in front of the fire and chill out and chat, and there would, we'd burn stuff, um, which was great. Um, and so fire's great, it provides warmth, it provides comfort, it's just one of those things. However, if you mishandle fire, what does it do? It can kill you. It can burn down your home. It can destroy your life. It can scar you for life. Being burned is a scar for life. Year six science, I used to teach year six, reversible and irreversible changes. Burning is an irreversible change. You burn something, that's it, it's gone. Other changes, freezing, you can reverse them. That one you can't. So money is like five. If you... If you don't handle it well, it can destroy you. You need to put it in its correct place. You've got these verses. I'll read them out. Write these ones down. 1 Timothy 6, 9 to 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4, it's in some of the other gospels as well, where the, he sows the seed and they fall on different types of ground. One of them, it says, and others are sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfaithful. Maybe that describes the rich lung rule. It was there, thought about it, they were going to respond, but the, the world, the riches just came in and choked it. The question we ask in this series of what's in your wallet, is there a health warning in your wallet? That would be a good thing to have in it. A little card that says something along the lines of danger, handle with care. Remember the old science labs at school that have some of the, the jars and some of the things and some of the rooms you couldn't go where the texts were because they had substance in there that were hazardous. They had to be handled with care. You couldn't go in there as the kids and get involved with them. They, you know, they were dangerous. In your wallet, do you have something that says actually handle with care this is dangerous this can be damaging to you it can destroy you last one we are called to wholeheartedly following Jesus wholeheartedly following Jesus the call that went out to the rich young ruler is the same call one that went out to the disciples it's the same one that gives to us it's the same one that goes out into the world now to all of us who are you going to follow who is number one in your life? What are you going to love above everything? And for us in this culture, 
this is a big one. What are we going to love more? Are you going to love Jesus more or are you going to love stuff and possessions and money more? Because if you have to make your choice. It's got to be one way or other. There's no, there's to, no two ways about it. We'll look at that particularly next week in serving. But you've got to make your choice. What are you going to do? Which one are you going to love? Is God provoking you now in this area? What is number one in your life? What are you striving after? What are you thinking about? What is captivating more of your attention? What do you spend your time doing when you have those moments of kind of free time? What are you putting your energy into? Is it just to acclimate stuff up the career ladder and, and things like that? Is that your driving force? Or is actually wholehearted devotion to Jesus? Because there's a challenge there for us that that's what we're called to do. He must reign number one. And everything else must order itself around it, which is what we're going to continue to look at as we do this series. What I'd also like to do as part of this series, if you've got a wallet or a purse, can you get it out? I've got mine. I brought it up here. Yeah. Here is mine. If you don't have it, just something that kind of you know, resembles it. Maybe your phone or something that kind of just has that... This is what it's about. Here's your what. Get your wallet out. Like I said, it's not going to do an offering, but you know, it's getting worried now. Tip all the money out now. Get your wallet out. Just hold it. Look at it. Might want to open it and see all the all the bits inside that you've got in there: receipts and cards and loyalty cards and all those kind of things. I want you to look at your wallet and say to yourself, "If I don't handle this well," You say that. It can kill me. This can destroy my faith and lead me away from Jesus. There needs to be a health warning in this. If I love this more than Jesus, I cannot be a wholehearted follower of him. Just let that sit. What this represents for us in our culture is pretty much everything, isn't it? The way we work, we basically get a wage, however that comes through, pensions or benefits, or you earn it through a job or some sort of employment. We basically get money. We don't live in a society where we have to grow or make our own things, although we do it, but they're usually kind of more hobbies than actually the stuff of life. So what this is, this kind of represents everything. My home, my food, my clothes, being warm, all those things, security and comfort. But if I devote myself to this, I devote myself to what this can do in my life, it will destroy me. It will destroy my families destroy my relationships, and ultimately destroy my relationship with God. And that is terrifying. Do you want to just stand? Can the band come up? I'm just going to pray for us as we begin this journey together that God will deal with us on this issue, provoke us.
Maybe you just want to close your eyes for a second and we're going to put our eyes on Jesus as kind of a tangible response to this. I don't know how you're feeling at the end of that. You know, usually when you're in churches and the pastor says, let's talk about money, you know, brings all sorts of emotions up. But the bottom line is God loves you. God wants good for you like any good parent. And sometimes with, as parents, you have to sit that your child down and say, look, this is the way of things. Don't do this. It will lead to difficulty for you. It will lead to disaster. You stay away from that. Handle that well. And so God is trying to communicate to you today and say, actually, there's something here you need to think about, church. Something we need to grasp hold of. And I'm going to pray, Holy Spirit of God, would you come upon us as your people and provoke us in this area? Provoke our hearts, provoke our lives. Where we have slipped into cultural thinking and kind of gone with the flow of this very rich Western world we live in, we pray God provoke us in that. Where we've chose to love stuff over you, forgive us for that, Lord. We repent of that. We turn away from that. If you know there's even just things in your life God's been pushing, just deal with it now with him. Start the process. God, I want to get this right. Lord, we pray as we look at this subject over the next number of weeks, Lord, we pray, God, you would deal with us as your people in this area, that our love for you would increase, our devotion to you would increase, our love for your kingdom and all the things that that means, all the good deeds that we do out of a love and a devotion, you caring and serving others and loving others and caring for the poor and all those things, we want that to increase. Would our hatred of sin also increase? That we would see the deceitfulness of riches. Give us eyes to see where it's crept into our lives and taken hold of us. Where it's threatening to choke things off. Lord Jesus, we want to be open to that, Lord God. Would our love for this world decrease? And the things this world has to offer, would they decrease, Lord God? And we would put you in your rightful place. Lord, we want to say we love you and we praise you. You are the one who saved us. You are the one who gave us new life. You are the one who redeemed us, Lord. Transform us, Lord, one to one degree of glory to another. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word and kind of let it affect us, let it have its way in us. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.
Soul will 